Well, if you would, grab a seat, uh, and uh, we're going to begin. You can go ahead and open up your, your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter. We'll pick up where we left off. Uh, as way of just introduction, as I'm sure uh, you've seen the news about the uh, recent ruling in the Dobbs case, which involved the overruling of, uh, of Roe v. Wade, and uh, just in awe of God's goodness to us in that and it's uh, so fitting that we'd be looking at the, uh, the story of uh, the conception of two very important characters in the history of redemption, obviously John the Baptist being one, but even more so the, the conception of, of uh, Jesus, the Savior of the world, and uh, who was Savior and who, who was Lord uh, even in the womb. Uh, even in that embryonic state, he was uh, still the reigning Lord of all the universe. And even John himself in the womb recognized that and uh, leapt for joy at that moment. Uh, the Son of Man, he truly did come to seek and to save the lost. And he, he came into the world. He didn't just appear uh, in the world, but he was born. He was born... Uh, of the Virgin Mary. He was born of the woman, just as we all uh, were born. And so I'm uh, just so thankful uh, for God's faithfulness to us. Uh, I want to be mindful of that and uh, be praying for that as we, as we do pray to open. Uh, so would you please join with me uh, in prayer? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have mercy on us, uh, sinners. And Lord Jesus, we give you praise and adoration for our salvation that you came to seek and to save the lost. Lord Jesus, we lift up our prayers uh, with joy and thanksgiving, especially uh, that this uh, blight that was on our nation has been overruled and overturned. May your light shine in this darkness, and may your church be a city on a hill. And may we love those who are hurting, may we comfort the poor and the needy. And may we all find forgiveness and rest in you. And may the same God who met with Elizabeth in her barrenness and took away her shame, and the same God who met with Mary and blessed her above all women, may you also meet with every woman here in your comfort and in your mercy. And Lord Jesus, we pray that the women who are maybe grieving, those who have had abortions, that they would find forgiveness and rest and comfort in you. And we pray for women who might be seeking abortions. And Lord, we pray that they would find you. We pray that they would find forgiveness and comfort, that they would find rest in you. You are mighty to save, and you forgive not just the least, uh, but the greatest of our sins. So now as we turn to your word, uh, Lord, may we learn more about you, the Almighty God, and about your Son, the Son of the Most High, who is our Savior and who is our friend? What wonderful news that is. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, like I uh, promised last week, uh, there is an outline. Uh, so this is uh, what we'll be looking at. We talked about last week, the, this outline of Luke. And like I mentioned, uh, we aren't going to cover all of Luke over this class, we'll, we're going to hopefully get through uh, his ministry in Galilee. That's, that's our goal. So uh, we want to just go through it expositionally, uh, section by section, and, uh, and treat the, uh, and uh, go through it like that. So um, we're, we're in the introduction we looked at last week, the, the purpose of the book. I won't uh, go through all of these again, uh, but uh, Luke is laying out his, his purpose for writing this gospel. Uh, that we would have certainty, not just Theophilus, but all would have certainty uh, regarding the things that we have been taught, uh, have been catechized, as it were. Uh, that's, that's the verb uh, I failed to mention last week, but that's the verb used there of, of what Theophilus was taught. Uh, he was catechized. And just as we are all catechized through our own catechisms in the church and our own standards and through the weekly preaching of the gospel, uh, Luke desires that we too would have certainty regarding those things that were taught. And so he turns then to uh, these two birth narratives, these two uh, uh, stories of these two uh, 
children, these two people born in this specific time in redemptive history. And this, this section is vital uh, to our understanding of, of uh, Luke and Acts as a whole um, because uh, uh, Luke is, is laying out the groundwork for these major themes of God's plan of redemption. We talked about those, those major themes last week of God's uh, sovereignty over salvation, his sovereignty over uh, all the, the world, and how he brings about this sovereign plan of redemption through uh, Jesus, his Messiah, the, the Christ, the Son of God, the, the Son of Man. And so this, this introductory section uh, through um, the end of chapter 2, these first two chapters, they, they form a bridge, as it were, uh, connecting the Old Testament and this Old Testament age of promise and uh, uh, prophecy and looking ahead, looking forward. Now we're at this, this age of fulfillment, and these things are beginning to be fulfilled. And so this, is, uh, uh, this opening section is, is narrating those events about how these, uh, these prophecies and promises of God's salvation are now being fulfilled uh, right before um, the people's uh, lives. And so John will tell the story uh, uh, through, uh, he'll, he'll go back and forth between uh, the story of John and the story of Jesus. And uh, so I'll just list, list these out here. Um, we'll, go, we'll go through each of these uh, in order, so you don't have to write down the, the titles necessarily. And this is just, a, this is just a, a, a simple outline. We could be more detailed, we could be more structured, but this is, this is just how we'll, we'll go through the text, um, kind of story by story. But you'll notice, just cursory glance, how, how uh, Luke is, is going back and forth, talking about John and talking about Jesus, and then going uh, back to John and, and Mary and Elizabeth's interaction, and then uh, Mary will sing uh, a song of praise uh, for what God is doing uh, through, uh, through uh, her uh, pregnancy, and then it'll go uh, back to John, it'll go back to Jesus, and, and we, we learn a lot about uh, what God is doing through these uh, interactions. And so when we get to uh, this, this first section, this, this birth of, of John that's foretold, the first thing we notice, and this is keeping right in line with, uh, with Luke, some of Luke's ma- major uh, emphases, some of his major themes, is uh, that this is a historical account. And uh, this is, this is uh, something that happened in a specific point in time in history. And so we're told right away in verse 5, Luke begins his story. He says, this happened in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And so we're told about uh, in the days of Herod. Here he's referring to Herod the Great, uh, who uh, reigned and ruled uh, only till around uh, 4 BC or so, not, not very long after uh, Jesus' birth. Uh, we'll remember the story in Matthew 2. Uh, this is the Herod who uh, gave that ruling that uh, all the newborns uh, would, be, would be killed because he was uh, shaken to the core with the thought that this was indeed the, the king of Israel that was born. Uh, and he was right. Uh, it was the king of Israel who was born uh, a greater king than he was. Uh, but uh, So we're told that this happened in the, in the days of Herod. Um, and so, uh, and we'll see throughout uh, the um, story of Luke that he'll he'll make mention of of different uh, people and different uh, groups, uh, different rulers um, throughout his gospels. His gospel as he sets the story uh, in in real time. Uh, so uh, after he after Herod the Great, after his death, uh, his kingdom is divided up amongst uh, his his three sons. Um, two of these sons will be mentioned again in Luke, Luke chapter 3, uh, excuse me, Herod Antipas and his brother Philip, um, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll see how, uh, what uh, role they play uh, going forward in the story. But these are the days of Herod, the king of Judea. But the story isn't, doesn't revolve around him, and this is one of the main uh, themes in Luke as well, is that the Gospel of Luke is for uh, the outcast, uh, for the poor and the, the destitute of society. It's not, it's not for the rulers, it's not for the, the upper class, as it were. Uh, not that the Gospel can't uh, go out to them, but, but 
Luke will use these characters to, to frame his story, but then he'll shift his focus to, uh, to uh, the other, other main characters. And so we see who the main characters are in this story. We're, we're told of just an ordinary priest, uh, Zechariah, and his uh, wife Elizabeth. And we're, we're told later on that they, they live out in the hill country. Um, uh, and uh, so they're, they're just an ordinary couple. And uh, so the story... Um, focuses uh, in on them, an ordinary priest and uh, his, his uh, barren uh, wife. Uh, so let me read a little bit more of what we see here. So it's in the days of Herod that there's this priest. His name was Zechariah. He was of the division of Abijah. He was one of the descendants of Aaron, uh, one of the uh, divisions uh, that King David uh, uh, constituted um, we can uh, read about that in uh, in First Chronicles uh, chapter twenty four uh, is where that uh, those those distinctions are made. But we're just told that uh, this this man Zechariah he's he's serving as priest. He's from the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Uh, her name was Elizabeth, and so we we see that both of them uh, come from a, a priestly uh, background. And we also read that there were. Uh, both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, even, even with this, we see that they have no child, that Elizabeth was barren, and that they were both uh, advanced in years. So they're described as, as uh, righteous before God. They're keeping all his commandments. They're, they're, or they are uh, fearing God uh, properly. Um, but despite all this faithfulness, and remember, one of the promises of faithfulness was, was, um, was fruitfulness. And uh, so this, this seemed, again, this, this, uh, a lot of what happens with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and with Mary, and, and uh, they're happening to them uh, in particular, but the, it's also... Uh, it's uh, representative of, of the people of, of God as a whole. Uh, that um, what's, what's going on with them is, is representative of, of the state of Israel at the time, so to speak. And so we see that there, we're in this age of, of uh, that Israel is, is waiting, is longing. Just as Elizabeth is, is barren and longing for a child, we, we see by extension, so too the uh, God's people are waiting and longing. It's been several hundred years uh, since uh, God has spoken and raised up a prophet to speak to Israel. Um, uh, and, uh, and so the people are longing. They're waiting. They're, they, are, uh, they are in desperate need of God's intervention. And the story of Elizabeth and, and Zechariah here are uh, representative of that. We'll, we'll see Elizabeth later on when she, she sings her song of praise to God. She talks about how God has taken away her reproach. And that's what God is doing for the people as well. He's, he's going to meet with his people in a mighty way. Well, uh, right away, uh, we should see uh, in, in this uh, story of this couple, we should, we should already be getting some, uh, some reminders of, of the history of Israel up to that point. It should invoke some memories of previous stories. Uh, we, they talk about how uh, they were blameless and righteous uh, in God's sight, which, which reminds us of, of Abraham, uh, who was blameless before the Lord, and who was supposed to walk blamelessly before the, war, uh, before the Lord, uh, who was uh, counted righteous uh, by account of his faith uh, in God. Yet, this, same, uh, this couple, Abraham and Sarah, uh, though they walked uh, before God in that way, they, they too remained childless for many years. And so the childless couples, they're, they're a significant Old Testament theme. Abraham and Sarah, uh, then later on, a couple generations, Jacob and his wife Rachel. Uh, and very significantly, uh, Hannah in 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 1, who is without child, and, and her song of praise after she uh, gives birth to Samuel. Uh, that's a very um, important, prominent section that we'll see. Language from that will show up, uh, especially when we get to uh, Mary's uh, song. Uh, 
But so, so as, we, as we read this story, we're already, we're already primed. We're already thinking that God's about to do something special in this moment. Because we have these stories in the back of our mind. And, and Luke's readers would have these stories in the back of our mind. It's like, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a woman who's barren, who's faithful to the Lord. Well, I wonder if the Lord's going to do something about that. I wonder if the Lord's going to act in a mighty way. And so we see uh, in verse 8... Um, that's Zechariah, he's serving as priest according to God when his division was on duty. Uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So there's these uh, 24 divisions of priests that would alternate in performing their duties in the temple uh, for one week uh, twice a year. And uh, so as it was custom, they would uh, cast lots to determine who would do uh, and perform uh, the incense portion of this, this uh, daily offering. And uh, they would do so because of the, the, the large number of priests in, this, uh, in these 24 divisions. And so they would uh, cast lots to determine uh, who would do it uh, in, in the twice, uh, twice daily uh, morning and evening uh, sacrifices, um, and so uh, they would um, prepare uh, for the evening sacrifice around 2.30 in the afternoon, and they would do so in, uh, to uh, coincide with uh, the, the daily prayer at the temple uh, during, uh, around that time, the, the time of prayer. And so we see that there's a large crowd uh, gathering. Uh, we see in verse 10, the whole multitude of people, were, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so all this they're doing in accordance to, uh, to God's law. And, uh, and this was a very um, unique uh, uh, privilege of a priest to go and to offer the, to offer the incense at this time. Uh, I believe uh, maybe only uh, once in a priest's lifetime would he have this opportunity. And it's at this very high point in Zechariah's career, as it were, that the Lord meets with him. And I should say just as well, um, it's so important that we pray. And one of Luke's main themes that we'll see is that God acts when his people are praying. And we see that here. We see that obviously in the day of Pentecost and in the book of Acts. Um, but all throughout we'll see uh, that, God's, uh, that God works and God acts as his people uh, are praying. And it's at this time when the people are praying when, when Zechariah is offering uh, the incense at the altar uh, we see that the angel of the Lord, verse 11, he's standing on the right side of the altar of incense. This uh, right side of the altar, uh, this uh, appearance of uh, this, this angelic messenger on the right side, a side of, of favor, a side of, of uh, that uh, God is going to act, he's going to do, he's going to accomplish. And we read that Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, that, that fear fell upon him. Uh, we'll see the, and again, as we go through, keep, keep this story in mind as we, as we get to uh, the angel's visitation uh, to, to Mary, and we'll, we'll look at the differences between uh, their two responses. So he's, he's uh, full of fear, uh, it, uh, rightly so. This is a, uh, a uh, shocking event. But the first words of the angel here are, fear not. Uh, Zechariah's prayer uh, and his wife's prayer, they're about to be answered, and, and even more so. Little do they know that their, their prayer for a son for themselves, uh, God was going to answer that prayer, uh, but this son was going to be special, have a unique place in God's story and God's plan of redemption. They're going to, to bear a son, and so what is, what is the message that this, this angel brings? So let me pick up in verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great among, uh, before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. An important uh, phrase there we'll pick up later. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, to make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. Well, there's a lot in there uh, to unpack. But notice, first of all, uh, who has the, the, the naming rights? Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the angel declares to him, this is his name. His name will be John, uh, which means that uh, Yahweh is gracious uh, or merciful. He was gracious and merciful to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and uh, also to all of his uh, people, to the whole people of Israel. He's showing mercy to all of them. And so he's going to be uh, filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Or I guess before I get there, um, uh, we, we notice that there's several things uh, that uh, the angel uh, states uh, that John's ministry will be like uh, in these, these uh, verses, um, 13 through 17. Uh, we see that uh, John will be great before the Lord, uh, we're told. He'll be great before him, not in terms of, of his uh, personal status, as it were, but, but uh, by what he's going to accomplish um, by the strength and the, the, the empowerment of the Lord in accordance with the Lord's will. Uh, John is never to drink wine or strong drink. He's, he himself is a vessel of the Lord that's set apart for this use. And so he's, he's given, a, uh, in the tradition of uh, the, the Nazarite um, vows, uh, similarly, he uh, is set apart for this specific purpose. We're told that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb, uh, which will, looks ahead to his encounter uh, uh, with uh, the, the newly conceived Jesus in uh, Mary's womb uh, when Mary and Elizabeth meet uh, later on in this chapter. And that just fur- further confirms and demonstrates his, his, uh, his office as a, as a prophet. It says that John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God by leading them to true repentance. And we see that in, in John's ministry of repentance, in preparing the people. We're also told that John will go before in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah, that uh, very important uh, Old Testament prophet in, in 1 Kings, uh, and who is prophesied as one who will come. Uh, the, the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, specifically says uh, that, uh, that uh, Elijah will, will come. Uh, we can actually, if you would, just look back there, uh, as I'm sure uh, you, you know, but um, it can be helpful, a refresher, just to see. Uh, if you go back to, to Malachi, we see a couple of times where this, this prophecy is made. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then in chapter 4, uh, verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so we see the same uh, language uh, being used uh, in verse seventeen that John will uh, that God will go before John in the spirit and power of Elijah to do what to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready uh, a people prepared. This is the a culmination of, of what John's ministry is going to be. He's going to prepare a people for the Lord, a remnant, uh, as it were, uh, for the Lord, a people ready to receive uh, this, this uh, salvation. And so this is who uh, this son is uh, going uh, to be. But uh, we see Zechariah's unfaithful response. He says, how shall I know this? And here, uh, this is our, this is our uh, mantra, at least this is my mantra, uh, Zechariah's words. How can I know this? Because I am old. <laughs> I'm not that old, I suppose, but I already feel that somewhat. How, how can I understand this? <laughs> how can I know this? The word there, old man, is, is uh, I believe, uh, presbytase, from where we get the word uh, Presbyterian. Um, he's, a, he's an elder, he's old, he's, he's advanced in years. And so uh, how can he know this? Well, uh, what we need to know about his response 
is uh, that it was, it was an unfaithful response. He responds to the angel asking literally, uh, according to what? That's his, that's his question in the Greek. According to what? Uh, on what basis? Or on what authority? Uh, it's, a, it's an unfaithful question. Uh, we, see, we see this in his, his I statements. How shall I know this? According to what are you going to show me that I would know this? I am an old man. This is who I am. And so we see, and now uh, the angel uh, tells him how he's going to know this. Well, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And so in a way, Zechariah, he's asking for a sign. How, how can I know that this is going to be true? And uh, unfortunately, uh, the angel gives him a sign. Here's your sign. Here's how you know it's going to be true. Uh, you're not going to speak again <laughs> until he's born. And uh, it's not in this text, uh, but many scholars think that uh, Elizabeth rejoiced that her husband couldn't speak. That may or may not be true. I'll note uh, how so many of the wives just uh, really appreciated that. I don't know. Uh, But Zechariah is not going to be able to speak. This is going to be a sign for him. And uh, since he can't speak, he has to, now he'll have to sign, uh, give signs to, to even communicate with, uh, with the people. And so uh, the people we see are, they're, they're wondering about the delay uh, of, of him in the temple. Uh, but finally he returns. They, they recognize that something must have happened. Something went down in the temple, and, uh, and they don't know exactly what yet. Uh, but we're told in verse 24, um, after all this happened, uh, indeed Elizabeth does conceive in her old age. And uh, she keeps herself uh, secluded for about five months. Uh, but she says to herself that uh, thus the Lord has done for me in the, de- on the, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people, in verse 25. And so uh, God has he's begun uh, his, his uh, mighty work of redemption uh, through the, the promise and the, 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 the birth of this son, uh, John. Uh, who will prepare the way of the Lord. Well, uh, that's where the story begins, but Luke is quick to shift his focus now uh, to another child who uh, will be born. And, uh, and so he, he be, turns his attention now to the story of uh, Elizabeth's cousin, a much younger uh, 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 Mary. And so we read in verse 26, and I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit here. You see in verse 26, uh, it's in the sixth month. The sixth month of what? Well, the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. And the same angel, Gabriel, um, he goes uh, and is sent from God to the city of Galilee, or uh, a city of Galilee, rather, um, Nazareth. Uh, And he goes to a virgin betrothed uh, to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Uh, so right away, we're told twice, before we're even introduced to, to her name, uh, we're told that she is a virgin, uh, and we're told that she is betrothed. Uh, that is, uh, she um, is, uh, is given uh, lawfully and legally to Joseph, but they have not consummated uh, their marriage yet. Uh, usually that was a period of around one year between uh, the betrothal uh, in which the father would agree uh, to the bride price and uh, she would be given uh, legally to Joseph, uh, but they have not yet uh, consummated that marriage. And so uh, Luke makes that point three times, twice calling her a virgin and in the, in the fact that uh, she is betrothed uh, but not married to Joseph. He, he makes that point three times and he does so purposely because of the importance of the virgin uh, birth. Uh, I was just at General Assembly, as many of uh, your elders were this past week, uh, and one of the sessions uh, that I attended uh, for a first-time commissioners like I was, uh, we had a quick overview of uh, Presbyterian history in America and uh, all the different, if you ever looked at the family tree of Presbyterianism in America, there's many branches of it. 
and some of the significant branches happened uh, when certain uh, so-called fundamentals of the faith, the fundamentalist controversy in the early 1900s, uh, uh, when uh, many uh, pastors and elders signed a statement saying that they did not have to affirm certain fundamentals of the faith, as they're called. One of those uh, fundamental doctrines was this doctrine here, that uh, Jesus was born of the virgin. Uh, They said, uh, you can believe that if you want to, but it's not necessary uh, to be an officer ordained in the church. Well, what Luke is saying here is that it is very necessary. It is indeed uh, absolutely necessary uh, that Jesus was born of the virgin uh, so that indeed he is uh, without sin, without the stain of original sin, and indeed is able to to uh, be a savior, who, one who is both fully man and who is fully God. But we'll talk more about that as we, as we go along. But we see here uh, that uh, Mary is a virgin betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Uh, that will also uh, be very important as, as Luke is tying in uh, these narratives in Jesus' birth. Uh, he, he's purposely tying in uh, these, these old uh, uh, Old Testament uh, covenants and promises of of uh, Abraham and of David and and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of them. Well, so we read and uh, we see that uh, the angel uh, visits Mary, and he came to her and said, verse twenty eight, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." And she is greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She, she reacts uh, similarly to uh, Zechariah in this case, but notice the difference uh, in their responses. The angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And, and uh, just, to, just to note, um, God is, this is, Mary is the passive recipient of God's favor and God's grace. And uh, she is uh, um, the uh, she is the uh, the model of of Christian faith and piety and humility and and uh, service. She uh, was not in and of herself sinless, and we see those very words in her own uh, her own song of praise that God is her savior. That she she thanks God personally for her salvation. Uh, but she is a, she's a model for us of her of her humility. But we see even in these words that um, uh, that she is the the passive recipient of God's grace, as all uh, God's people are. Uh, so verse verse thirty one. Do not. Uh, so he says, do not be afraid. Verse thirty one. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So very quickly, let me go through uh, these um, five different things, or, or four maybe, depending on how you want to number them, of, of, of what uh, the angel Gabriel says will be true of this Jesus who will be born. So Jesus, he will be great. Whereas John will be great before the Lord, Jesus himself will be great. There's no other uh, adjective attached to that. He is the great one, an attribute that's given uh, to, to God himself throughout Scripture. He will be great. He will be mega. He will be above all. And we say he will be called the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. And this Son of God, the Son of the Most High, will be given the throne of his father David. So now again, we, we've seen David mentioned twice in the story. Joseph uh, being a descendant of David, and now Jesus, who will receive the throne of his father David. Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob. 
So again, tying the story even back further in redemptive history, back to the, the story of Jacob, who would be renamed Israel. So he will be the, reign, uh, the ruler, he will reign over the house of Israel, over God's people, as his father David did. And of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. So these are the, the, the five things uh, that... Uh, that Luke, uh, or that the angel, uh, that Luke records the angel uh, saying to Mary about this son whom she will conceive, though a virgin. And so we see then Mary, unlike Zechariah, she responds in faithfulness. Now our translations do this somewhat of an injustice. They both translate their, their question as, as how. Uh, how can this be? Uh, well, we already talked about Zechariah's question was, uh, according to what? Uh, it was, uh, it, was un- it was an unfaithful response. Mary's response really was, was how? Uh, her, her, her question wasn't doubting that this was going to happen. Her question was uh, saying, okay, I believe you, this is going to happen, but I'm just a little lost of how this is going to happen, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, how can a virgin uh, conceive and bear a child? I'm just not sure of... of of how that's going to work out in real time, but she but she believed that it would, and and we see this in um, John's birth was very extraordinary, but it was not unprecedented. There is other stories of of elderly women advanced in years who had conceived and given birth. Uh, so Zechariah. Uh, should have responded in, in, in faith. He could have responded in faith because God had done so before. Mary's circumstance was unprecedented. This had never happened before. And so she asks the angel um, uh, a faithful question of, of fill me in on, on how God is going to do this because, of, uh, because I am the servant of the Lord, as, as we'll see her say later. And so the angel responds to her, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, therefore, the child, be, uh, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the angel gives her further clarification, says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. And so uh, the angel gives her uh, the answer. Well, here's how it's going to happen. Not through ordinary generation, but through a special creative act of God, uh, you will uh, conceive a son in your womb. And you can know this to be true because of, the, uh, because of what has already happened uh, to your cousin Elizabeth, who, though in her old age, is now six months pregnant. And we know Elizabeth had secluded herself, so it's very likely that this was news to Mary, that she didn't know this. And, and, so, uh, and so this is, um, this is all news to her, and, and, uh, and we see the summary statement, nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary responds and says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departs from her. And so we see again, Mary uh, is, is uh, the, the servant of, of, of the Lord par excellence. She is, uh, um, uh, we do not consider her uh, sinless. We do not uh, venerate her. Uh, we do not uh, worship her nor pray to her, uh, but we do uh, look to her as a model uh, for faith, for faith in life, and we're, and we're so thankful of how God worked, worked through her. Uh, when we see in her someone to, to um, to strive to be like, as we do through all the different uh, heroes of, of, uh, in the Bible, as it were, uh, models of faithful obedience to the Lord, uh, Mary being uh, one uh, bright example of them. Let's see how we're doing on time. Uh, not great. Okay. So <laughs> let me see if I can, um, we'll get through a little bit more here. So much more to say. So many... Um, um, so yeah, so, so many things to say, and in my head I'd like to um, you know, touch on some of these very important doctrines, doctrine of incarnation, uh, uh, doctrine of, of, um, 
of, of Christ, uh, the person of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think I'd like to discuss those more when we get to the, the birth of Christ, um, but um, maybe we can uh, look a little bit more of um, at uh, how uh, Mary and Elizabeth, um, their interaction and, and some of the uh, things that we can draw from, from this story here. Uh, so, so we're told Mary goes uh, with haste. She goes earnestly to uh, go and visit uh, with uh, her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, this is uh, how the shepherds will be described. They go in haste after they hear the good news. And this is uh, what God's people do. Uh, not necessarily in haste as in running as quickly as she could, uh, but haste as in uh, eagerly and expectantly. Uh, she uh, believed the angel's words. And if she truly believed uh, the word of, of Gabriel, that God was working salvation in real time, that the mighty redemptive act was happening, what else should he, uh, could she do but uh, respond with um, eager joy and expectancy and go in haste to, to see uh, just how God is working? And um, so, so she goes to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she goes to visit Elizabeth we hear we're told they, her and uh, Zechariah live in the, the hill country. And she goes to see uh, this, um, this matter for herself, to visit with her cousin. And we see verse 41, when Elizabeth uh, heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped uh, in her womb. And uh, I just love that uh, picture. She's around six months pregnant now, so... She already would have been feeling some, some kicks and some movement, uh, but this one was different. Uh, this one, uh, the baby leapt, as it were. The baby leaped in her womb, and so we're reminded of Gabriel's words in, in verse 15, that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love uh, how one commentator put it. Uh, he said that uh, John the Baptist was the only child ever to use a womb for a pulpit. John was already doing uh, his work of his ministry. Uh, he was preaching uh, to his mother uh, from the womb that this was the child of, uh, who was promised, the Messiah who was coming. Uh, God's salvation uh, was at hand. And so we see that Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so we see that the, Jesus is Lord. Even in the womb, even in this moment, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring Elizabeth to say uh, these words, um, that Jesus is Lord. And, and the, the mother, the, the real, physical, earthly mother of, of Jesus' uh, human uh, nature uh, is, is there now. And, uh, and so we see, we can see the, um, uh, we'll see this later in, in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, well, uh, Luke chapter 11, <laughs> so we won't see it later probably, um, but uh, we, uh, later, Luke chapter 11, uh, there's a woman who cries out to Jesus from the crowd. He says, blessed is the womb that carried you and the breasts from which you nursed. But Jesus responds, um, he says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so we see uh, Mary is not uh, blessed simply because she is the mother who brings about this special child into the world, but it is because Mary has heard the word and believed and obeyed. Uh, she's become a model of faith for us. Uh, she is saved uh, uh, by faith in Christ, just as, as we all are. And we see Elizabeth make that same point in verse uh, 45. Uh, how uh, Mary uh, believed uh, these words and um, and was blessed by them, the fulfillment of what was spoken uh, to her uh, from the Lord. We'll see this being filled with the Spirit. Um, just something to keep in mind that being filled with the Spirit uh, is is something that will happen uh, later. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 of the day of Pentecost, uh, the reigning Lord will pour out his spirit among all flesh in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Uh, but even now, uh, the spirit is already breaking out uh, to certain individuals, to certain people, Elizabeth being one of them. 
And being filled with the Spirit uh, brings us to to joy and to praise. And uh, this is true for all of us who who are uh, filled with the Spirit, as it were, because we have been baptized uh, into one baptism, into one Spirit, uh, all receiving that that Spirit. Um, but that's very important, uh, being, being baptized or filled with the Spirit, a very important theme in, in Luke's work, in Luke and in Acts. Uh, but uh, over against uh, the uh, Pentecostal theology, this is not uh, something that uh, is subsequent to our salvation, nor is it something that uh, empowers, us, empowers us with uh, specific uh, sign acts or gifts, uh, like speaking in tongues. Um, but it is it is the gift to all who believe. We're all uh, born of the Spirit. We all receive the Spirit. Uh, that's the miracle that the Spirit works in our lives, and that empowers us to live a life of godliness and faithfulness uh, as the Spirit himself testifies to us, illumines Scripture for us, and uh, uh, helps us as we live a life of faithfulness and obedience to him. And that is true as we see throughout both Luke and Acts. This is what the Spirit does uh, for God's people. Okay, well, let's, um, let me just, let's get into some of uh, Mary's song here. I'm very mindful of the time, and uh, we will, um, we'll see, just go as far as, as far as we can. One of the very first things uh, that we see in, in Mary's uh, song of praise, the Magnificat, as it's, it's called from the, the first word in the Latin, uh, that Mary magnifies the Lord. She makes much of the Lord. She, she uh, ascribes uh, glory and praise to the Lord. But we see that her song is grounded in biblical revelation. It's grounded in the words of Scripture, uh, especially uh, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which is one to, to just star uh, next to this and, and, um, and to consider and go back and forth between the two. But... Uh, you know, so many scholars are so um, quick to try and poke holes in things, and, and uh, they'll say uh, that, uh, oh, this, this song, it's way too uh, profound and too articulate and too uh, beautiful for uh, a teenager uh, to come up with on her own, uh, they'll say. So it must be uh, someone else's words, not Mary's own words. And again, Mary would have been uh, teenager uh, at this time, around the age that she would have been betrothed, uh, around maybe 14 or so. Well, that's just, uh, simply, that's just nonsense. Uh, th- these are Mary's words. And uh, first of all, uh, they're Mary's words because uh, she was inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to proclaim these words. But in addition to that, what's very important for us to see, and, and for the parents in the room as well, is that Mary was taught the faith uh, of her people. Uh, she was taught the stories of Abraham and Sarah. She was taught the story and the song of Hannah that she, she pulls from. And not just that song, but, but all the redemptive acts of the Lord throughout history, uh, from the Exodus and, and uh, from, from God's caring for his people in the wilderness, uh, the story and the teachings of, of the prophets of the Old Testament, and how God brings down the proud and raises up the humble, uh, how he is the God to the widow and to the orphan and to the needy. Uh, Mary knows uh, the nature of God. She, she knows the stories of, of, uh, of God's uh, faithfulness to uh, his people. Uh, she's been uh, catechized well. And so this is, in a way, this is a, uh, something for us to consider, uh, that we uh, catechize our children. Uh, and we continue to do so, and we don't lose. We don't ever uh, lose faith that maybe it's not sticking, or maybe it's not going the way we would like it to, or maybe it's difficult. And and uh, let this be an encouragement to us. Um, even in my own life, uh, uh, being raised on uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, coming from a Dutch Reformed uh, church, which I uh, really did not care about when I was uh, growing up and having to learn it and memorize it. But now, seeing the benefit of that, having the language of of God and of his salvation and, uh, and the benefits of having that foundational uh, uh, language and learning. And, and we see this in Mary's own song. And so let that be an encouragement uh, to us and to you parents especially uh, to be raising up your children with the words of Scripture and the words of our confession 
because uh, they will uh, give your children the language to sing God's, uh, God's praises uh, all throughout their life. And so this is the song of Mary. Uh, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, Mary understood uh, what was happening. Uh, she, she rejoiced in uh, God's uh, saving work in her life. She goes on and, and she says, uh, The Lord God, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And he says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And when Mary says that, that all nations, all generations will consider and count me blessed, uh, it's not a mandate that we venerate her. Again, I'll just keep making that point as we go along. But instead, she points to God. That's the, that's the, the error uh, that the Roman church makes, is that Mary herself is pointing away from her and pointing toward God. God is the one who poured out his, uh, this particular grace upon her and declares that God is holy and merciful and pours out grace on all from generation to generation. And so what God has done for Mary is an expression of God's mercy on the people, on all people. We'll see this in the, the angel's words to the shepherds. This is good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Uh, it is the holy and merciful God who is to be venerated and who is to be worshipped. And to regard Mary as blessed is simply to acknowledge and to praise God for what he has done for her because of what it means uh, for all of us and for God's people is that uh, he, uh, through her, uh, brought about uh, the one who would be the Savior of the world. And so she turns uh, her attention then uh, to this, uh, this mighty God of salvation, this mighty power um, in verse uh, uh, so she says, uh, verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. Uh, she inv- invoking the, the Exodus event. Uh, she, that, uh, the same God who uh, brought the people out of Exodus, this is the same God who is now bringing his people out of, of this Exodus, as it were, uh, through uh, um, a new and, and better Moses, uh, who will be leading his people across the Jordan River, a new and better uh, Joshua. Uh, who, uh, with whom he, he shares the name uh, that Yahweh saves, uh, Yeshua, uh, the name of Jesus, uh, the name of, of Joshua. Y- Yahweh saves, and that's why his name is Jesus, because he is uh, the Savior. And so um, Mary's bringing about uh, this language, and she shares a lot of this language uh, in this, these uh, couple verses here uh, with, with Hannah as well, describing the reversal of fortunes, describing the reversal of of uh, the paradigms of, of uh, society and the, uh, of the world, that the lowly are the ones who are exalted, while the haughty or the exalted ones are brought low, uh, that uh, God's uh, grace is, uh, he, uh, is, is for, the, uh, for those who are humble, for the hungry. He fills uh, with good things, but the rich he sends away. He scatters the proud, um, but he raises up uh, and exalts those who are humble. And so uh, we see all of this in, in Mary's praise. Uh, she is um, not only giving praise for what God is doing to her, but what God will be doing through her and through this child uh, in bringing about salvation uh, for all people. Uh, so I see I've uh, run out of time. Um, so that's where we'll end there. We'll pick up uh, with the rest of uh, Mary's song next week, and we'll look at how that compares to uh, Zechariah's song and how these two uh, these two uh, uh, children uh, will, will grow up and uh, how the one will serve uh, the other, uh, the one who brings about his salvation.